previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. We'll get him on this show in a couple of weeks. I mean, yes. he's, he's uh, where I wanted to put him on next week, but I found out last night that he's going to California next week. So, yeah, to do more book stuff. Good for him. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good oh, for we, him. he, Michael and I was talking. If you knew him, you would root for him. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a what you hope. He's fuzzy. He, you yes. he it's him. hard he's not fuzzy. to like him. What yeah. you hope is the success of this book will help him break out of his shell, give him a little <laughs> bit more self confidence. Yeah, the confidence <laughs> thing, hopefully. <laughs> The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. That was about Luke Russert. We will get to Luke Russert in a minute. There's a couple of other things to start with, though. First of all, today is May 11th. That's 5-11. That's Steve Spurrier Day. <laughs> not very good. Not very good, but not the worst. Some people were worse than us, so at least we got that thing going But you have to us. be, when you, when you say the date, you have to look at it as almost like, I've never seen him. I didn't know. 5 maybe it was still 5 and 10. 5-11. <laughs> Could be the Steve 12. Spurrier Day. Uh, I talked about cookies the other day, and I had, you know, they came late, and I didn't, I wasn't able to help the people who had the particular group day to raise money for people. Anyway, this comes from Stephanie Wright, who is the co-founder and the executive director of Together We Bake, which is where I got the cookies from that were great, by the way. I hope you're well. We were so intrigued to hear your podcast, your wonderful shout out to Act for Alexandria and Spring to Action. Uh, and the saga of the cookies. We now know it all went down, how it all went down, and we would love to send you some fresh treats. Also, Together We Bake is having our annual fundraiser next week. We'd love to invite you to attend as our guest. Now, there's no chance. <laughs> I mean, I don't do that, but yeah. you know, but it's nice that uh, to get it's a invited. Offer. She doesn't know me well enough to understand that I, I don't do that. <laughs> TWB's sixth annual Empowerment Breakfast will be held on Thursday, May 18th. That's this coming Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. at the Westin in Alexandria. The Empowerment Breakfast is an inspiring community event, and Together We Bake's largest fundraiser of the year, enabling us to reduce barriers to employment for underserved women. It is also a powerful celebration of the resilience and strength of our alumni community and an opportunity to share impact and plans for the future. Please share the correct address to ship the treats when you have a chance. Yeah, yeah, Bonnie, just send it to Bonnie. (laughs) Anyway, it's the Empowerment Breakfast is next Thursday, 8 to 10 a.m. at the Westin Hotel in Alexandria. So... Last night, or yeah, last evening, I went, and Nigel went as well, to the Luke Russert book party. And this was at Luke's mom's house, Maureen Orth, who, as Luke correctly states, is the writer in the family. I mean, Maureen (laughs) is a great writer. And, you know, there were people there. There were people there whose faces I recognized. And, you know, and, and this is because Luke worked at NBC. Yeah. So he's got a bunch of friends at NBC. Now, there were some people I recognized from ESPN because Luke was our intern, our famous intern who at one point just left, left for the last three or four weeks Good. of the internship. Got to go to the vineyard. I got to go to the vineyard and hang out with John Kerry. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's when I knew I loved Luke. Right. Because he had no regard for the internship whatsoever. Um, so, so you look around and, and I mean, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen, uh, Matawano in a while, and I hadn't seen Megan in a while. Bonnie was there. Eric Rideholm was there. I was very happy. And we have a picture. We took a picture of ourselves from the PTI show with Luke right in the middle. Um, Luke's book, and Maureen said this last night, Luke's book is going to debut this Sunday on the New York Times bestseller list. That's the list. Okay, other people, you know, there are a lot of lists, but believe me, when you're a writer, that's the list. It's going to debut at number three. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's just fantastic. It really is. Yeah. 
So there, the nightly news, I mean, I do watch the nightly news. So I recognize it's Peter Alexander from the White House. It's Kristen Welker from the White House. They're there. I introduced myself to them, which seemed foolish in hindsight since they knew what I was. But I did. Um, it, was, it was just lovely. Pete Williams, Andrea Mitchell, mm-hmm. John King from CNN was there. Al Hunt, who I've known for a thousand years, he was there. And so it was nice for me to see these people. I also met a, a couple of younger people. Who was that kid that I met that I liked a lot? Uh, Jake. Jake. Jake Sherman. Oh, Jake yeah. Sherman, yeah. Now he's Luke's really dear friend. And he, he created something. He worked for Politico, he told me. And then he created something called punchbowl.com. And he's little. And his <laughs> he wife. He came to the show. Yeah, well, I, you know, I hey, found the that out. Undisclosed location about down, six years ago. Yeah, I found that out <laughs> down the road. And, and so I really enjoyed chatting with him and his wife and and um you know i mean good for him he's obviously this thing is successful i don't it's online so i don't know what it is yeah it's like everything else online but the party for luke was lovely and luke spoke and it was just really nice i put on a suit and real shoes yeah you look great i looked like a ragamuffin <laughs> i did but i put on real shoes and a real dc insider Hmm? You're a real DC insider yeah. now. Yeah, so it's nice. Well, way. I remember saying, what's the dress for this? And you said, well, casual. it's casual. So I, of course, showed up with jeans and a blazer, and I was like, well, no, I'm... No, you were fine. I felt a bit underdressed. No, you were fine. <laughs> so it was a, a lovely party. Uh, and as I said, we'll have Luke on, n- not this coming week, but the week after. Um, and then I went home, and I haven't watched, like, regular television in a long time. I occasionally watch the nightly news on, on NBC. It's my favorite station, and I watch it on NBC, but I don't watch it all the time. I watch sports. Since the pandemic, I've watched nothing but sports. I've never watched Netflix. I've never watched these other things. Last night, I went home, and even with hockey playoffs and basketball playoffs, and that's were over by then. They had one earlier in the day. That was a day game. It's a nice San win. Francisco. They're really nice. Third they won the series. W- third series win in a row. I believe. They're, they're they made w- a little closer in the eighth and the ninth, but yeah, the relievers came in and they were not effective. They yielded ding dongs, as we like to say. <laughs> but it was a ten-two game before that. And Gray looked really good, right? Gray looked good. They had a lot of hits. I don't know how they have the record they have. I'm one of those people who said they are not going to win 60 games. They're going to lose over 100 games. I don't know how they have the record they have because they have no no long ball threat at all. Not not one. Uh, They have not played any divisional games. So I'm just well, they to, opened with Atlanta, where sure, they, they, got they beat played three Atlanta more. and they've played the Mets and they have the Mets coming up here in DC, but they yeah. have not played the Phillies and you know even the games against. Have the they Marlins. played the Marlins? They no. played a, no, no. Okay. Anyway, so I came home and because the Nats were off, get to watch the uh, Orioles. I didn't. I put on CNN. Oh, I watched Donald Trump. Oh, you watched that? I very specifically watched Donald Trump at what CNN said was a town hall in New Hampshire that seemed. By the people who were introduced to ask questions, it seemed to be a very, very largely pro-Trump crowd, a Republican crowd. Even when people said, I'm undecided about who I'm going to vote for. Many of them had voted for Donald Trump in the past. And I'm not going to be critical of, of the moderator. I'm not because it, you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't do it. What do no. you think of the body language? Of whose? Trump's. Um. A gargoyle. A little bit more slumping and a little bit more 
lurching than than I thought. You know, didn't sit up straight. I mean, seemed to be prowling to some degree, but that's amateur psychology. I will just say this. He's a fabulist. It doesn't matter if it's real. He, it, it is presented by him as real. I mean, you know, we talked about how would you do this? We're going to drill, baby, drill. We're going to change the economy. All right. That was his position before on oil and the environmentalists go crazy about this. But then he talks about how the economy was in the greatest shape in the history of the United States when he was president. I don't know that that's true. Um, there are lines. It was the guy. And, and first of all, I, the most unbelievable thing to me was not anything that he said was that he went on CNN. Yeah. He called yeah. CNN fake news for years and years and years, more than anything else, I guess the New York Times and the Washington Post, but CNN, because he's a creature of television. He's not a creature of print. And he went on. And he went on. I mean, he sat there. He was ready for this. He was totally ready for this. Yeah. He had the agenda of what he wanted to say. He said at one point, he, he, he was asked about, the you know, if he favored... If he was hoping that the Ukraine would, oh, would win, win the war, the yeah, war against Russia. Clip. And he said, I'm hoping it stops. If I'm president, it'll be over in 24 hours. This, like you sit there and you want to say to somebody next to you, except nobody was next to me, what? <laughs> he said, first of all, he said, if, if I was president, it wouldn't have happened. Right. And this is, of course, Donald Trump's belief. And, and it comes up in everything that he says. His belief that he can negotiate everything. Yeah, everything is a deal. Everything yeah. is a deal. Like he talks about reversing Roe versus Wade and how happy he is that he did that. He now, because he's obviously taking credit for the Supreme Court appointees. Okay. But he says now one side of this is in a position they can make a deal. Like, like I think the takeaway from Donald Trump is that there is nothing set in stone. It's all written in sand because it's all subject to the next deal. This, of course, harkens back to his book, The Art of the Deal, that he believes not only in himself, but in his ability to persuade and convince and cajole anybody into anything. Like It's sort of like Donald Trump says, and I'll give a little here and you'll give a little there. It's, it's not like, well, that guy's not giving anything. He's not giving anything. No, no. I'll give a little here and you'll give a little there. It's a performance, the likes of which you go, wow. Wow. I mean, every time I see him, I do understand why people like him. I do. It doesn't mean that what he said is true. What did, what did Jake Tapper say? There's not enough time to fact check what he's saying. Right. It's, yeah. it's like you're taking the original source material to a photocopier and you're just printing out a hundred copies of it and you go try and catch them as they all fall to the floor <laughs> as you're then putting me in a premier time slot where yes. i'm looking at just the yes. the, the real-time numbers i have no policy no plan but i'm aware of where the polling is i can basically show up as is disheveled gargoyleish on the prowl and i know if this thing is held tomorrow i have a puncher's he chance. wins yeah he uh, wins yeah because there's there's he no doubles downs on on lies where <laughs> he was found by a jury of his peers to be at fault. You know, it just says, uh, you know. Yeah, I, and I think the people that it's love... remarkable. The people that love him, love oh, him even more. More. And the people that hate him, hate him even more, just from that performance. It sort of depends on the people in the middle, whoever's in the middle anymore. Yes, right. but that's but why you was, go on CNN. It, it was a yeah. remarkable... 
a remarkable performance, I thought. Again, I'm not criticizing anybody for this. I mean, this is who he is. He clings to stuff that is that every time you check on the on the falsity of the presidential election, yep. there is no evidence of this. Everyone says right and left, other than like Kerry Lake. Right. You know, everyone basically says like 85 to 90% of the people saying, yeah, it's a fair election. Eh, it wasn't cheating. This is the way we, we voted in this particular thing. Not him. Yeah. Not him. And he's asked by the moderator, um, will you accept the results if you run in 2024? Will you accept the results of the election? He says, only if I feel it's not cheating. That's not you know, an answer, yeah. So it's it's wild. I mean, I don't do a whole lot of politics here, and I'm not trying to influence people to take a position. I'm just saying that it's when you watch him, that's well, remarkable. It 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 he is not tethered to what most of us believe has actually happened. His spin on it is wildly different. It is he bathes himself in the light just in the light of celebrity and competence. And again, it's all about, we'll make a deal. Yeah, We'll make a deal. Nothing matters. We'll make a deal. And I don't even know if the deal matters because maybe <laughs> right. there's but a next deal. But it's not even deal. we'll make a deal. It's I'll say that there is a deal on the table, whether or not that is actually in place. And you, you have this interesting background where you're on TV, you're on cable TV, and you have a background in journalism. And you sort of, you look at the panels after that and they are just in complete shock. And you're still, it's almost like you forgot where you were a couple years ago. You're like, is it dangerous that you yourselves are putting this on, but you're also trying to do the task of being fair and looking at, well, this is the leading Republican candidate right now. By a a million miles. Everyone else is getting Conor Roy numbers. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. He's still in it. I just want to be part of the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get out of here. Neil Greenberg will join us. We have to ask about gambling and all of these people are being suspended in the pros and in college. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Mike Monty in D.C., who is the bass player and the driver of the Winnebago. <laughs> for the Herschel Tucker Band, not the Herschel Walker Band. <laughs> and not the Marshall Tucker Band. No, the Herschel Tucker Band. I'm sending along some songs from my group, Herschel Tucker Band. We hope we share it with the Littles. We're not like the genius Dan Byrne or the budding professional singer-songwriters that other listeners send to you. But in the tradition of Decker Ghoul School and American football, we're back for the exposure and because we love your show. We send these songs because we need your help to get a gig. We'll play about anywhere that's a drive from D.C. or Baltimore. Like Spinal Tap, we'll even open up for a puppet show if that's what it takes. (laughs) And with you saying, please book these guys, we know it'll work. Please book the Herschel Tucker Band. This is a song called Florida Plates. And it plays in Neil Greenberg. And Neil has reinvented himself over the years a variety of times. And now he is a gambling expert and a legitimate gambling expert. Did you have the Derby, by the way, or were you right or wrong on the Derby? 
Uh, I was wrong. I had confidence game because I wasn't expecting as fast of a speed duel yeah. uh, that they had, so uh, a little bit disappointing. Um, but that's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> if you watch some of the prior races, it was really difficult for closers to gain any ground. So my thought was that all the, the trainers just told the jockeys, get out in front because speed's holding, um, but it just didn't hold that race. Yeah, do you like this horse in the Preakness? Because he gets to run against Forte, who's beaten him a couple of times. Well, Forte can't run because can't? he's... Uh, yeah, the, the, when, he, when you're ruled out, um, you have to wait 14 days, and then you need to have a workout inspected oh. by the veterinarians. Um, so if this Preakness, was the Belmont, he could maybe run, but in not, not two weeks with the Preakness, right? Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I sort of thought that they would face off in the Preakness, that that would be fun. All right. No, uh, Forte's also under some suspicions of drug use back from uh, when he was a two-year-old. He, he, he actually was, uh, there's a case against him. It hasn't been ruled on yet, which is suspicious in and of itself. I love um, when you say he's suspected of drug use, like he's sitting with the other horses in the barn and they have cocaine. <laughs> like that's, yeah, it's, that's, no, it's more I like that it. uh, the 70s show. Remember when they're all sitting around the table and they're just laughing and passing around some marijuana? Yeah, so just... No, but there's a there's a case still in, in um, that, that he uh, he failed the drug test in Saratoga. Okay, all right. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think this horse is the horse not running. Um, but Mage looks good. I mean, this this field in the Preakness so far uh, doesn't look very good. Um, so I think he's got uh, he's definitely got a chance. Let me get to the larger issue here for me, which is what is going on with gambling in pro sports. What are the restrictions of pro athletes sport by sport? And then I think the larger problem, we'll get to that after this, is what is going on with college sports and the restrictions of college athletes. But what's going on with gambling in pro sports? And we're now hearing about people being suspended. Why are they being suspended? Well, because it's against the, uh, the NFL rules. It's, it's a violation of the league's betting policy to, to bet on games. I mean, you know, just think about the, in, the information that a player has or a coach has versus the public. Um, you know, they know who's hurt. Um, you know, they know who may be starting, may not be starting. Um, they know game plans. They know who may be targeted, you know, in terms of the offense. Um, so it's against the league's uh, betting policy. And, um, you know, it's very easy for these odds makers to track who's betting either from uh, a personal standpoint, because you have to give your social security number, uh, but also from a, a geolocation standpoint. I mean, you know, they can, they can tell, you know, where the general location uh, a bet's coming from. But are you uh, only, you're talking about the NFL. Are, yeah. I can understand if you are prohibited from gambling on football games, but I don't really understand if you're prohibited gambling on other things, which I think has also happened. Yes, no? Well, yeah, but... but but it, it extends the same way. I mean, you know, how many, how many athletes share trainers, share agents, share, you know, just a network of people? Um, I, I don't think it's far-fetched to say, you know, an NFL player can get information on a baseball team or, or something like that. I mean, um, so I think that the, the, the gambling in terms of, um, you know, information is, is critical. So, and, well, Neil, the, I mean, I understand, you know, you're talking about the NFL. Does baseball, I mean, Pete Rose, so they must, does baseball have the same prohibitions? Does hockey have the same prohibitions? Does basketball have the same prohibitions? 
Yeah, I mean, you can't bet on, yeah, you, you're, you're prohibited from betting. Um, all athletes, all pro athletes. Yeah, and it's also, you know, obviously extending towards, um, towards student athletes. I mean, they, um, Evander Kane was alleged to, uh, right. Hockey to, player. to, to gambling. Um, you know, now he said, you know, that, like he was gambling on, on table games and owed, you know, a lot of money. Um, but again, I mean, I just think that we live in an, an age of information. And it's, in my opinion, it's very easy for information to spread intrasport and intersport. Um, and so, and I think as a gambler myself, you know, when I'm, when I'm placing a wager, I want to know that I'm not, I'm not betting, I'm not drawing dead, right? I mean, like, I, I yeah. want to know that what I'm betting on, it, I at least have a legitimate chance, in my mind, whatever that is, 10%, 20%, 50%, you know, to win. So, I, I mean, I can understand it for the integrity of the game. I can understand it if a professional league says, one of our deals is, we're paying you a lot of money, you can't gamble. If we find you're going to gamble, we're going to get rid of you. Okay, I, I get that because those are corporations, you know, those are leagues with their own policies. They don't have to be legal. They don't have to be legal. The college thing is really sort of murky for me, I guess because I never considered that college kids were out there, you know, on teams betting on stuff. There's so many more college athletes, so many more. How do you police that? Yeah, it becomes difficult. Um, you know, with the case with Alabama... Um, you know, Alabama's scheduled starter. Uh, yeah, Luke the baseball Holman, coach. Yeah. You know, got pulled before the game and was replaced by a sophomore who, who wasn't as good. Um, you know, and there were two bets made on the Tigers to win from a customer. Now, with, with and I can tell you from experience, college ba- baseball does not have big limits. Like, you're not seeing whales bet college baseball. So if you're having someone walk in the casino or even on an app, you know, start to wager two, three, five thousand dollars. I don't know what the wager was. I'm just assuming it was large enough to to raise a flag. Yeah. You know, and it and you have the the geolocation of where it's done, or you have you know video of the person. I mean, um, you know, it, it becomes easy to trace back. Now, Iowa, Iowa State. Um, you know, you're talking about 26 athletes and a full time employee of the, of the athletic department. Um, you know, that, again, is, is inside information, possibly, right? I mean, you know, it was baseball, football, men's basketball. Um, you know, if you know a transfer is coming in or if you know, you know, a star player is going to be uh, suspended, I mean, you know, there's, there's all sorts of scenarios where having inside information can, can play a role. Um, so it's, it's very, I think it's very easy for, for college players. And even college students, right? I mean, how many college athletes you know, share, you know, classroom, I mean, with other students. And, you know, maybe the student knows that a, that a guy's failing and, and won't be eligible to play next week. Or, you know, there's so, so many different scenarios so that can happen. Let me get to this. And, and I'm looking for the explanation of where is the equity in this. For a billion years, every single pro league, and well, obviously in college, resisted gambling, pretended it wasn't there. Put Jimmy the Greek and Pete Axtelm on, but pretended it really wasn't happening. Now it's legal. It's legal everywhere. These ads are on your television all the time, and they are aimed at young people. They're not aimed at me. They're aimed at young people. And, and if this is part 
of the fabric of the sports culture now, as it seems to be, how do you keep people from betting? Well, I mean, you there are rules in place, right? So if you go to a school, you know, you're signing a code of conduct before you're admitted, and my guess is it's in that code of conduct that you will not gamble or you will not place bets or something there about. They don't even know what they're signing. They, you well, know that. doesn't mean it's not binding. I mean, I, right. I get that. We all do that. Like, right. my, my wife, thankfully, is a technical writer. She reads every letter of terms and conditions. I will, I will click that I accept button I accept. faster than anything. Yeah, just that I accept. <laughs> uh, Let's move on. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, it, but, but, it, but that doesn't mean, though, that it's inconsequential. It's a binding contract. Do you have any sense that these rules will change? Um, I don't think they can change because, again, it's it's the integrity of it, right? I mean, if look at look at horse racing. I mean, horse racing is tough to bet on because you don't know if the horse that you're betting against is doped up. That's right. right? I mean, right. we saw it in the Kentucky right. Derby. Right. We we've seen it in other races. So for me, as a better, I am very leery about betting on horses because I don't know. I don't have enough information where I think it's fair. If you start to have that with with football, with baseball, you're going to lose people. Now, maybe you don't lose enough to, you know, to have it significantly alter the financial landscape. But, you know, there, there will be stories, right? I mean, the ESPN is going to run stories about these type of gambling things, and people will take notice, and it will erode the trust in the betting markets to some degree. Uh, so I think they absolutely have to have these. It these just tells you, these commercials tell you you can bet on anything. You can bet on so a pitch. Will, that's a whole different yeah. like the the predatory nature of the ads especially in wow. terms of the parlays and the single game parlays I think are the worst part of sports gambling because they're the highest commission for the house and they're the worst odds for the player. So the these odds makers absolutely want like you said younger people yes. that think they can strike it rich with a lottery ticket by playing these parlays when they are just going to be churning through their bank account. And, and then um, at the end, they flash on the screen, if you think you have a gambling problem, right. call this number. Are right. you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding right. me with this? But before you call, make sure you put in a seven-game <laughs> parlay that you might hit. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, it's very contradictory. I've, said that I've, I've, I've been very vocal about this on Twitter. Um, the odds are worse when you do a single-game parlay. Many people don't even realize that. Um, the payout is is not a true reflection of the of the probability, and again, the, the house makes thirty percent on a parlay versus five percent on a straight bet. So it becomes very clear, you know, what road that they want you to take. Um, and I think, like I said, it's very very predatory, and I, yes. and I don't know what needs to be it's done. It's not benign. No, it is predatory, and I don't know uh, honestly, Neil. I think this is going to happen more and more and more. I mean. College kids are going to bet. They have the ability to bet. You just make a phone call, you bet, right? Yeah, you just go on your phone. And I think it's a step further. I think they're going to be smarter about it. I mean, you look, I have young kids, and I'm reading about how these young kids get around their parents' safeguards on their iPhones and how they have secret folders and they're using their friend's account and everything like that. I mean, it's it's just going to make them sneaky, and it's just going to be – hey, you know, can you place this bet for me, but here's the information, um, and it'll be more difficult to track. And I think, you know, it's a very evolving organism in terms of, well, if we're going to get in trouble, we have to just be a little bit smarter about it, and there'll be endless ways to circumvent that process. 
Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, it is definitely a problem. This is a good phone call. Thank you, Neil. This is good. I wanted to hear these things. Thank you. Sure thing. I'm glad to talk to you again. I, I miss you guys. Neil Greenberg, boys and girls. We come to him with all the hard stuff and then the hockey here and there. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with Pat Forty. I'm Tony Kornheiser. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. One more time, it's the Herschel Tucker Band. This is called Summer Isle. They wanted me to say, please book these guys. It's easy for me to say, please book these guys. <laughs> the Herschel Tucker Band. Michael, if musicians like the Herschel Tucker Band want to have their original music played on this show, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornheisershow.com. Okay, so... Pat Forty's going to join us now, and he was on earlier in the week, and I don't like to lean on people quite as much as this, but this story with Bob Huggins is, we need somebody who covers this for a living. Pat writes in Sports Illustrated and wrote about this two, three days in a row. How do you feel about what is the apparent resolution of the Bob Huggins circumstance? Uh, not very good, frankly. I just, I, I, I feel like... Bob Huggins crossed a line that it's hard to come back from, and uh, he was allowed to come back from it because he, maybe after Joe Manchin, is the most popular person or po- popular and powerful person in the uh, state of West Virginia, uh, and the sanctions that were put on him, I thought, were moderate at best because. Taking a million dollars from a guy who's 69 years old and has probably made, I don't know, 60 million at least in his life, uh, I don't think is much of a meaningful punishment. Uh, Three-game suspension certainly isn't. And so I thought this just reinforced that if you win, you can get more chances than regular people. So Wilbon and I had talked about this the day before. um, And I think Mike just said fire him he got sick of bob huggins and i and i was saying look it's it's hard to fire this guy in west virginia he went to west virginia he graduated from west virginia he's a very popular person it would be easiest if he just resigned but it doesn't look like he's going to resign so is there a way to come back and i said you know he could probably keep the job there has to be public contrition not just once he couldn't just say okay i've said it and i'm done and we're moving on it'd have to be Often, I felt, there'd have to be counseling. And there'd have to be, in my mind, a significant suspension. And in my mind, a significant suspension was a minimum of 10 games, 10 to 15, or maybe even a full season. Maybe even a full season. I mean, I didn't even think about money, taking away money, because honestly, Pat, like you, I just I don't even think that's meaningful at all to, uh, to Bob Huggins. Three games is 
That's insulting, it seems to me. It is. Uh, that is insulting, and that goes to the bottom line of we just want to win here. <laughs> and, you know, that it's not about we need to express our true disapproval to Bob Huggins by, by taking him away from what he really wants is to coach. It's, well, we need Bob Huggins because we've got a pretty good team here. We've just loaded up in the transfer portal, yeah. and that's all that really matters is we want to win. And, you know, I think the, the stated, not publicly, but behind the scenes logic was, we don't want to penalize the players for this. You know, it's like, well, come on, man. You're just, you're making, you're finding other ways to say we just want to win. And if that's the case, and I'm, if I'm a West Virginia player and I get busted for something during the season, you know, I don't know, DUI, a bar fight, anything, I'm going to come and say, well, you better not penalize me very much because it could hurt the team. Uh, so that's the standard they've set. Would you have fired him if you ran the, the zoo? I'd, would you? Have fired I probably would have. Hmm. I probably would have. But I agree. It would look. It would have been difficult. It would have been. Uh, again, as, as you pointed out, he is an alum. He's, an, he's a hero. State. He came to one of their two Final Fours ever. He is as authentically West Virginia probably as you can get. So it wouldn't have been easy. But man, I just. You know, how many people, if, if somebody got on your podcast and said what he said, how many people survived that? It can't be a very long list. So this is, this is interesting because, and you do a podcast as well, and I've done radio for a long time, and I understand the difference. I understand when one is live and one is not. But if I were the host of that show, I'd have tried to save him. I'd have said, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, you don't really want to say that, do you? And if he said it again, I would know that he really wanted to say that. But I would try to save him. If it was on tape, I never would have, we would have stopped, you know, right then and there. We would have stopped. And maybe some people would say to me, no, you have no right to save him. Because if that's what's in his mind and that's what's on his tongue, you have to let it go. But how would you feel about that? I'd have tried to say, whoa, hold it. What? Absolutely. No. And that, you know, look, the the guy that he's on with, Bill Cunningham in Cincinnati, that's, he is... That kind of guy, unfortunately, like he he trades in, you know, polarizing, angry, outrageous radio. And so this kind of fits right in. And and frankly, you know, like WLW, the station there, I don't believe has lifted a finger towards him and how he handled that whole thing. Really? I certainly, not to my knowledge. Okay. I think they just powered right on through. (laughs) And, uh, you know, at the very least, I sure wouldn't have ended the interview with, He's the best. Isn't he the best? I mean, that was just unbelievable to me. And, yes, I think the radio host had a, a, an imperative to right then and there say, you don't really mean that, Bob. Come on now. You know, or, or let's, try to, you know, let's try to give you a chance to walk that back. And uh, that was certainly not the direction they wanted to go. I don't know Bob Huggins. Don't know him at all. I've watched him prowl the sidelines at a variety of places for a long time at Cincinnati and West Virginia. I, I don't know that I've ever met bob huggins um do you know him is is i mean do you take um, the do you take the apology as being sincere that he went that he actually said oh my god i i I can't say that can't even think it anymore um i i I, i'm not sure i take it as sincere and i do know him and i've had a good relationship with him for 15 years probably yeah um and i like him because he's well He's an honest person. I know this was his honesty, this, this sort of thing. But, but in basketball terms, he, you can call him up and he will talk to you about basketball in honest terms. Um, and so, 
doesn't like him, but this this was extremely disappointing to say the least. And I just don't know whether you say it the way he said it and then turn around and say, oh, I'm actually legitimately sorry. I really didn't know that was going to be that offensive. It's like, where have you been for 30 years? You know, I just, I, I, I have a hard time thinking anything more than I need to say I'm sorry because I'd like to keep my job. It's, it was not just anti-gay, it was anti-Catholic. I mean, it really was. Yeah. It, just, it was just a, a wide swat. It, and, and twice, without prompting and without hesitation. And this is a college, you know, which is supposedly a beacon of learning and acceptance. I mean, one of the reasons you go to college is to broaden your horizons a little bit and, and come out a better person. And I'm not knocking, I'm not going to knock the University of West Virginia. I'm not going to do that at all. I, I, but, but the University of West Virginia did not seem to have either a problem or hesitation with keeping him. I'm not going to say they didn't have a problem with what he said. I would not presume to say that at all. But they didn't have a problem keeping him, did they? No, they didn't. They did not. And, you know, to your point about it being a university, the first clause of their mission statement on their website includes the words diversity and inclusivity. And this was not something that is going to help you have a diverse and inclusive uh, university. They directly flout that. So, you know, Gordon Gee is the president there. He's he's a pro sports guy. He likes the the spotlight sports brings. Uh, He once famously kowtowed to Jim Trestle saying, I hope when Trestle was in trouble and he was asked, are you going to fire him? He's like, oh, no, I hope Trestle doesn't fire me. And that kind of says, I think, where Gordon Gee is with his celebrity coaches. And so this probably should have been, I guess, was the predictable outcome of this. Um, obviously, this is going to last wherever Huggins goes on the road. May not last in Morgantown, but it's going to last wherever he goes on the road. Do you think he's the kind of person that will continue to face it and continue to apologize and continue to try and change the perception of himself? Or is he a guy like so many coaches in so many sports that will attempt to just shut the thing down? So, look, I've answered this already. All right, let's move on. Uh, It's a good question. And I would think the latter, given who he is. And, I mean, he he can be a brusque guy who likes to dictate terms to media or whoever he's talking to. But we'll see. That that will be a test of whether he's really actually learned something or not, is when it's, you know, you're – eighth game of the Big 12 season and you are in Austin, Texas and you're being asked about this and you've already talked about it 20 times. Yeah, yeah. Do you then just fold your arms and huff and say, I've already addressed that or do you address it again, which you need to do. So, we'll see. That's going to be a test of the learning curve I think here for Bob Huggins. Yeah, because he has a chance. He has a chance within a year to come out on the other side and people say, well, I do think he's sincere. He has that chance in front yeah. of him. He does. You know, it's, it's how he behaves. Yeah. no. Um, yep, he's I, given I, the opportunity. I got to ask you about Denny Crum, who you followed and knew very, very well. Your thoughts about uh, the the life and times of Denny Crum? Um, you know, I thought that Denny has been a little bit underappreciated. He played uh, in the 1970s and 80s of really helping. Bass, college basketball improve itself as a showcase for black excellence. And by that, I mean you put five black players on the floor. That had been done several times, several places. But you then play an athletic, uninhibited style. You are throwing alley-oops. 
your players can grow the biggest afro they want to grow. Nobody's telling them they have to cut it. Uh, Louisville is credited by some people with inventing the high five. They played with a lot of style and character and soul, frankly. And that was at a time when, especially down the road at Kentucky, uh uh-uh, that was not the case. And I think especially in in stark relief to Lexington and some people in that fan base, not all, but some people did not like the blackness of Louisville's team. And in fact, preferred the team as the Blackbirds instead of the Cardinals. Denny took all that on and was like, hey, this is who we are, this is who we're going to be, and we're going to be really good. And he was... He helped, I think, make basketball just a little bit more colorful, soulful place. It's nice to hear. Plug your podcast for us. College Football Inquirer, Yahoo Sports. You can get it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. I've always said if, if Kornheiser's 1A, we're 1B, or the other way around, <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. I hate to lean on you quite like this, but the Huggins thing is important. It's important. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Pat Forty. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. comes Tony's mailbag, got your email faxes and your notes. Here comes Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all you folks. Thank you, Gary. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say our love was like the water that splashes on a stone. Our love is like our music. It's here. And then it's gone. So take me to the airport and put me on a plane. I've got no expectations to pass through here again. <laughs> that's Mick Jagger. That's, that song is 60 years old. That's uh, one of the early great Rolling Stone songs. Um, no expectations. It's just yeah. a lovely, lovely ballad. Thanks to our guests today, Neil Greenberg and Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Nuts.com and Grammarly. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. So we got this the other day from Augustine Baldioli. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Augustine Baldioli. Augustus okay. Gloop? Hmm? <laughs> Nothing. Oh. Charlie the Chocolate First off, thank you for the hours of enjoyment, jollity, jollity, and glee that you and your merry band bring to us littles. I've never been moved to communicate with popular entertainment productions such as yours but an interjection by Nigel compelled me. I was enjoying the pod, walking my dog, listening to April 16th's show. On that show, Eugene and others discussed Liz's recent retirement. The conversation turned to volunteering. Nigel's fantastic comedic timing compelled him to utter, you should be docent at natural history. That phrase stopped me dead in my tracks, much to the chagrin of my loyal companion, who was in full making walk. I stopped because, <laughs> hey, I know that volunteer program. Wait. I run that volunteer program. 
The thought of Mr. Tony joining the ranks of Natural History's dedicated docents didn't fill me with a warm and fuzzy feeling, <laughs> mainly because I know of Mr. Tony's aversion to using a computer. Most volunteer programs require basic internet skills to complete core responsibilities, such as signing up for volunteer shifts, completing training requirements, and more. Many of my volunteers master these skills with my help, yet I don't think I have the energy or patience to develop this proficiency in Mr. Tony. Fortunately for me in the volunteer program, Mr. Tony isn't interested. However, if anyone associated with this high-quality program is interested in volunteering at Natural History or at any of our sister museums located on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., I'd be happy to help. All I ask in return is to be the official museum volunteer program coordinator of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Thanks. I'll shut up and listen. Yes. Great. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. give that to Liz. I wouldn't be good at it. You know, yeah. No, but you'd be very good at getting somebody else to turn your computer on. I would be very good at that. <laughs> you I, made a career out of that. And that would be that would be good for you because you're the person I get to do that all the time. But yeah, people asking you questions in the museum. I'm yeah. Not sure that. Hey, would... what do you think? Why do you think I would know that? I mean, really? I'm what? Because I have a badge. Stop. Uh, Roger Ortega in Oakland, California. Heard you discussing increased prices for certain produce items, particularly blackberries. I've worked in produce for almost thirty years, so excited to share some thoughts. Blackberries, while able to grow wild in many areas of the world, are produced commercially mostly in Mexico. California, Oregon, and Washington also produce them at much smaller volumes and limited time frames. So increases in cost of fuel, labor, materials, cardboard for the carton, plastic for the clamshell, wood for the pallets that the product goes on, have all contributed to the increased cost at the register, particularly on the eastern seaboard. Table grapes, Michael, at this time are coming from offshore, Chile most likely. So the same factors contribute to their increased prices. Mexico and Palm Desert, California should begin production in the next few weeks, moving into the Central Valley of California, Bakersfield and Fresno sometime in early July, continuing through early October. Grapes store well, so supply of domestic product should last November through December, after which time offshore Peru is usually the earliest, will begin to arrive here in the States. If you're looking for an official produce person for the show, I'd gladly submit this my This is as good as the French fries. That's really good. Huh? <laughs> as good as the French fries information. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you think... The French fries information was unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. That's very good, though. I bet they know all the codes for the produce. From Dave Reedman. <laughs> Absolutely. Who's a Hoya, a rainbow warrior, and a knight. Okay. After hearing your discussion of running shoe fittings, I need to chime in with a recent story from my experience with a running store in Orlando. I've had terrible foot pain since the start of the pandemic when I was walking my dog in circles all day around the Aloha State, wearing cheap flip-flops and listening to your show. I tried a dozen different shoes and insoles without any relief. About three months ago, I decided to try Fleet Feet. They have a walking pad track with sensors that show exactly which parts of your feet make contact with the ground and how much pressure is on them. They also have a 3D camera system that creates an exact digital image and sizing measurements of every part of your foot and arch. Based on the pressure points and sizing, they selected my optimal shoe, a Hoka Clifton 9. I was skeptical at first, but now my foot pain has gone from 9 out of 10 to 1 out of 10. Technology is amazing. And he says, looks like they have a location just down the street from you at Fleet Feet in D.C. on Columbia Road. Yeah, it's been there for... 30 years. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I go to stores, I go to strip mall stores, and I just walk up and pick something out and hand it to the clerk. And hope the sizes match. Right. And I, you know, so I, what we have learned in the last couple of weeks about not just the technology, but the sort of dedicated service is yeah. very impressive. Yes. You know, and the shoes probably don't cost any more. And you're getting service. Yeah. So really, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, they get you the shoes you, you need. We'll take you to that Pacers. From Trey Watson in Lexington, Kentucky. I loved your interview last week with Chuck Culpepper, who I had parenthetically. 
recently filled my usual, usually guest slot on a local talk radio show when I had something else coming up. One thing you guys didn't mention was the fact that in addition to being that good of an athlete, and yes, horses are athletes, Secretariat knew it and loved to perform. One of my dad's favorite stories was getting to tour Claiborne Farm with the farm manager shortly before Secretariat's passing. While walking around the grounds, the farm manager asked, you want to meet him? To which my father, of course, said yes. There was an older, tired-looking horse out in the field in front of them. Nothing special to behold, just kind of walking around. As my dad told it, the manager called out, hey, Red. And all of a sudden, the ears on this horse perked up. It straightened its back, stood up strong and proud, and the once tired-looking horse revealed itself as Secretariat in all his massive athletic glory. He proceeded to prance over with a cocky attitude that said, yeah, it's me. Breathe it in. <laughs> Paced in front of them for a few minutes so they could bask in his glory and pose for pictures before trotting back into the field. The horse absolutely, 100%, knew he was a star and loved every minute of it. Well, you had that same experience at the Belmont, right? I didn't get to go to the Belmont. Thanks for reminding me oh, that. That's Can we right. get Pablo on the show? <laughs> From Lee Gordon, episode 80, West Hartford, Connecticut, and Boynton Beach, Florida, when Chuck Culpepper talked about a community of people with a common interest meeting each other online and in person at the grave of Secretariat. It reminded me of yet another group of people with a common bond who commune online and take advantage of an occasion to gather together in person. Littles. I don't want to say the Jingle Fest is exactly analogous to leaving pennies on a horse's tombstone, but the weekend of June 24th will be our opportunity to come from all over the country to enjoy each other's company up close and personal. I imagine the Secretariat people have an equally hard time explaining their passion to non-obsessed friends. Isn't that a very nice note? And it is coming up. From Brad Kent in Berkeley, California. I just listened to the conversation with Chuck Culpepper about Secretariat on the way home from work. I was several years from being a glint in my mother's eye in 1973. But the Sports Century series you mentioned introduced me to Secretariat and to the Triple Crown. When I think of Secretariat, I remember Bill Knack crying as he remembered him. I remember the jockey looking back, but most of all, I remember the call. He's moving like a tremendous machine. The perfect call for the perfect race. I get chills thinking about it. And I had chills listening to you remember the race. Thank you. I'll be moving to D.C. soon. Bethesda Bagel is near the top of my list of places to visit. I'll make sure to park my RV in another neighborhood. <laughs> I think that's nice. And I will do... We'll do one more. It's again about Secretary. We've got a lot of things about Secretary. This is from Pat Kearney in Bethesda, Maryland. I heard you justifiably rambling on with Chuck Culpepper about Secretariat. And now you have a chance to see a fabulous uh, horse in Woodstock. Not that Woodstock, Grandpa. Woodstock, Virginia, home of harness racing Shenandoah Downs, will be hosting a statue of Secretariat ridden by Ron Turcott on the stretch by renowned wildlife artist Jocelyn Russell, on Saturday, May 13th, that's this Saturday, yes. 2023, from noon to five on its trip back from Churchill Downs to a permanent home in Ashland, Virginia. So Woodstock's about a two-hour drive from the 20015, and it gives all the directions. I won't front you any bets. I'll pick up the first light beer and a scoop of the finest Mennonite ice cream uh, from the Sugar Creek Snowy and Sweet, Sweet Ice Cream Shop. If that's not enough, I'll introduce you to my son, Thomas Kearney. Um, and he, he showed a statue. The statue's gorgeous. It's, it's a remarkable. Turcotte is on it. Yeah. Out of, you know, in the irons, but off the seat. And this is from Patrick Kearney and Bethesda. All these Secretariat things. Um, Ethan Newman, New York, by way of Lockridge, Iowa. I was shocked, as you explained, not being able to attend Secretariat's Triple Crown, as that horse was clearly dead before you were even born. That's when I learned, as the naive millennial that I am, that Secretariat and Seabiscuit are, in fact, different <laughs> horses from different eras and not the same horse. While we're at it, it turns out the Belmont is not the town in Footloose where Kevin Bacon isn't allowed to dance. Thanks for being the highlight of my day three times each week. That is really nice. 
It's really nice. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Okay, we wound up 5-11. and 11. Not very good. Uh, but there were some worse than us. I guess that's one positive way to look at it. We weren't the worst team in the league. there 